Praise God, you're going number two. Is this number two or three in this series? Two. Amen. Go for it. Thank you, thank you. My on, check, check. Brian, Brad, whoever. All right, let me get organized here. Well, let's just pray here quick tonight to prepare ourselves. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this time spent together in in the Word. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us in everything we do. We pray that you would give our spirits utterance. And we thank you, Father, that you would keep our eyes and mind and heart focused on you and the things above and not the things of this earth. Keep us from distractions and any evil thing, Lord. And we just praise you for this time tonight. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I got to get used to this mic thing here. I feel like... Okay. There we go. Okay. So last week we talked about uh, the spirit and the three parts of our spirit and how important it is to know uh, how to... that the spirit, our spirit, should rule in our lives. So to review from last week, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 again. I really want this scripture to sink in uh, to us. Uh, It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I really feel like this is an important truth that we need to know in this day and age, that not just our spirit, our soul, but our body as well, needs to be preserved blameless for the coming of our Lord. Uh, I truly believe that we are the generation of believers called to prepare the way for the return of our Lord. So, if we want to be truly prepared as believers, I believe the complete sanctification of our whole spirit, soul, and body is, is as important, or is an important key in our preparedness. I remember when Mike Plain was here, uh, when was that, in June? He was kind of talking about unlocking hidden keys, unlocking keys that can kind of stir up the fire within us, stir up the hunger and thirst for his word. And there's been a few keys that I found this year, one of which was a bunch of YouTube video teachings from Kenneth Hagin that just kind of stirred something up within me. And I got Brad watching him, and they stirred him up. And then this one, uh, my discovery, uh, Lester Summerall's Spirit, Soul, and Body series, and that this truth that we are a spirit being, we have a soul, and we have a, and we live in a physical body. So, um, let me get back on track. Not only is this important key uh, important for the preparedness for the return of our Lord, but it's important as we get ready for the harvest in the days to come. That revelation of spirit, soul, and body, and living in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit is a major key in our preparedness for the coming harvest so that we can be ready for the lost and the hurting that's coming in and that we can be ready to walk in true power and authority as we should as believers. If we want to be the church and Christians God created us to be for this exciting time in history, we really need to focus on making sure our whole spirit, soul, and body are purified, sanctified, and ready for His coming or for ready for what is coming. Our spirits must be kings of our lives. Mom started reading the book on the spirit now by Lester Summerall, and she brought up the um, comment that he made. Uh, He says that 
Our spirit should be kings in our lives. Our soul should be the servant, and our bodies are slaves. So we need to kind of start to think about that more and more, how our spirit man should be king in our lives, but our souls should be the servant. So tonight we're talking about the souls. If we want to walk in true power and authority, know how to be led by the spirit, walk in spiritual gifts, we have to distinguish between spirit and soul. If we don't, we will end up living in our soul, soulish desires, fleshly desires, and we'll be led by our own emotions and selfish will. We, we mentioned a few weeks ago we are spirit beings, which is made up of our intuition, our communion, which is fellowship with God, and our conscience. We have a soul, uh, which is made up of our mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a physical body. So let's quickly review the three parts of our spirit, man. Number one is our intuition. That intuition is, that vo- is the voice of our spirit. It's that thing that's within you that tells you when something is good or evil. That voice that comes up in your gut when something isn't right, um, telling you to avoid a certain person or a certain situation. It's knowing something without even having to think it out intellectually. We talked how we can discern other people's spirits and knowing goodness and evil by just coming in its presence. I gave you the two examples of knowing people by the spirit. I discerned that Patriot's a United speaker from Arizona, that he's born-again, spirit-filled believer. And then I gave you the example of coming into the presence of an evil kind of spirit with that creepy guy there in Council Bluffs. Um, so that's just a couple examples of knowing people by the spirit. Through our intuition, we can also begin to know God in a deeper way. He'll be bigger and be magnified in your life. 1 John 2.20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. How can we possibly know all things? Well, we can't intellectually. But because we have the Holy Spirit within us, He will give our spirit utterance, and He will bring to remembrance the things that He showed us and that He's taught to us. The next part is our communion. That's fellowship with God. That's fellowship with Jesus. You can only have this by being born again. When you're born again, your spirit is made alive in Christ. Your spirit is the center of communion with God, not your brain. I think that's an important truth to know. We can't know God intellectually. We have to know him by the spirit. Uh, You can't know him by your emotions. We have to know him by the spirit. God doesn't respond to emotion. He responds to faith. He responds to spiritual faith. Okay, 1 Corinthians 20 verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verses 20 through 21 here. Where is the wise? uh, Nope, I'm in the wrong one. Okay, yeah, I was right. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So we cannot know God through worldly wisdom. We have to know him through the Spirit, by the Spirit. We can have communion with God, I talked about in three different ways. Through prayer, through the Word, and through worship. I talked about how he desires us to worship in spirit and in truth. And I talked about how when we pray in the Spirit or we pray in tongues we are connected spirit to spirit with God and that's direct communion with him finally the third part of our spirit is our conscience that's the inner witness to the word of God 
Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So that's your conscience telling you that you are of God. Your conscience is the inner knowledge of right and wrong. It can give you direction. It can determine a right course or a wrong course or if you're in the will of God or not. In conclusion, we need to learn to live in the Spirit daily and learn to be led by the Spirit of God so that we aren't led by our own emotions and our own soulish nature. That was kind of a long introduction, but anyways, okay. Now we're going to get into the soul. I planned on talking about the body as well, but I don't think we're going to have enough time, so we'll do the body next week. So just like our spirit, Our soul is made up of three parts, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Lester Summerall says, Our soul is the old creation of Adam. From the Greek word soul, which is psyche or psyche, we get the word psychology, psychiatry, and psychoanalysis. So they don't come from the born-again natural nature that God's put within us. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, so there's a conflict within us, within our solical parts and our spiritual parts. I'm sure that you guys through your lives have been able to discern this and pick this up, that our soul and our spirit is constantly battling back and forth against each other. But as born-again spirit-filled believers, we must be ruled by our spirit, and our soul and body must be brought into control by our spirit. Our soul and body should be a reflection of what our spirits look like. So some examples of how our souls and our spirits kind of battle back and forth, fight back and forth. Um, For an example, when we get into an argument or we get into our fight, what's our soul do? What's our emotions do? They try to ramp up. They try to get mad, get angry, swear, holler, fight, right? That's our emotions. That's our soul telling us to blow up and throw a fit. But then what does what usually happens, especially as born-again believers, our spirit man will, hey, tell us, hey, calm down, take a deep breath, don't respond emotionally, think about what you're doing here, right? Um, so an example, when I was younger, driving, when I was younger versus driving now, when I was younger and more immature and responded off emotions, if someone would cut me off, I might give them a California salute, as we would call it, or, you know, yell or swear under my breath. I know Scott gets worked up by uh, traffic and stuff, so I thought this was a good example, right? So what's that? That's my soulish, carnal nature. That's not my spirit, man. But now as I've matured and I've grown older, when something like that happens, what do I do? Instead, I take a deep breath, I'll smile and wave, which usually makes them mad anyways even more. Um, But I don't throw a fit because it's just not worth it, right? Um... Our soul will do things like try to pressure us into watching watching worldly rated R movies, inappropriate things, right? But our spirit will lead you not to. Your spirit will convict you. Remember, our conscience is that part of our spirit that convicts us. So let's say you go to the movie theater to watch a movie with your 
your spouse and you get halfway through it and it's just dirty and it's constant swearing and that something within you starts convicting you and telling you this isn't right, this isn't of God, that's your spirit telling you, you know, that you need to leave. That's that conviction. Your soul will tell you to keep scrolling through social media for hours, right? This is a weakness for me that I got to work on. Your soul will try to keep you scrolling through social medias for hours and hours, right? I'll tell myself, okay, yeah, I'll go read the Bible, I'll go pray, and but I'm just going to scroll through, you know, Facebook for a few minutes first, and that usually leads to an hour of doing that, and now I've distracted myself, which is exactly what Satan wants, is me distracted not spending time with God. Okay, our spirit will tell us to put our phones down and to pick our Bibles up. Hey, stupid Put your phone down, start spending time with God, right? Um, Your spirit, your intuition will tell you when something isn't right, but your soul will try to dominate dominate it and explain it away. So in our women's self-defense classes and our concealed carry classes that Devin and I do, we talk a lot about of intuition do you think is right. So 50%, 60%, 70%. Anybody got any guesses? What percentage do you think your intuition is right? And something's not going right. That 90, what'd you say? 90, right? So that's actually pretty good. Typically, it's lower than. Typically, it's 50, 60%. We teach that our intuition is correct 100% of the time. You think about it as born-again, spirit-filled believers, too. When the Holy Spirit's giving your spirit utterance, your intuition is speaking to you. That's always going to be right. The reason that we think it's lower is because when something's happening, we try to explain things away. So like in a security situation, when we're talking about security and situational awareness, and we talk about if you see something that's out of place, it's a red flag, don't try and explain it away. You know, say something or look further into it. Because our solical person tries to come in, tries to explain something away, and then we get in trouble, right? That's our soul versus our spirit. We let our mind overrun our intuition or our, what our spirit or intuition is trying to tell us. Our soul will tell you to eat the whole pizza, but your spirit will tell you to walk in self-control. Okay, Galatians 5.22 verse 23 gives us the fruits of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we mature spiritually and we begin to walk in the spirit it will become much easier to walk in the fruits of the spirit than choosing our own soulish nature and desires of our flesh the fruits of the spirit will become more evident in our lives as we live in the spirit and let our spirits rule us that's why it's so important to become more sensitive to the voice of our spirit instead of getting in a loud argument and blowing up and swearing and you know going ballistic Take a second, take a deep breath, listen to what your spirit man is telling you. He'll tell you to walk in love, tell you to walk in peace, kindness, gentleness. I know I have my areas I got to work on as much as everyone else, so I'm in the boat with all you guys. But instead of devouring the whole tub of ice cream or the whole pizza in one setting, listen to the spirit telling you to walk in self-control. Choose self-control and only eat half the tub of ice cream instead of the whole tub of ice cream, right? So let's get into the mind, the three parts of our soul. Okay, the first part of our 
our soul is our mind. That's our thought center where all our thinking takes place. And if you're someone like me who's kind of an introvert, we do a lot of thinking. There's always thinking going on. Oftentimes we can give our soul, our mind, will, and emotions a bad rap. But when they're aligned with God and they're commanded by our spirits there, it can be a beautiful thing. God gave us a mind, will, and emotions for a reason. Lester Summerall says, No person has ever penetrated the depths of the abilities that God has instilled within the human mind. When you study out the human mind and the capabilities of the human mind, it's capable of amazing things. And it's accomplished a lot of, it's accomplished evil things. But when it's ruled by the spirit, it can accomplish awesome things, right? The human mind is a department of the human soul. It's a part of the human personality. But the the human mind without the born-again spirit uh, can, can become a debased mind. Um, a debased mind is a perverted and immoral mindset. Um, even as born-again Christians, if you let your soul become corrupted, you can have that debased mind. So sw- uh, flip to Romans chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> so here it says, And even as they did not like to regain God, retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malice, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindness, and on and on and on, right? So that debased mind, God gave them over to the debased mind. That's a perverted, immoral mind. Man without God, without the Holy Spirit, and without the Word of God has a debased mind within him. Our soulical, carnal nature has that debased mind. It It hates God, right? Our natural mind has a hatred towards God, but it has to be changed by God's supernatural power. When a man will not be spiritual, he becomes carnal. We must have a mind subject to the Spirit and the Word of God. So the things like hatred, sexual immorality, covetousness, envy, murder, strife, pride, violence, these are all things that come from our natural carnal man and our soul. But we, as the Bible says, are called to have the mind of Christ. As Philippians 4.8 says, we need to keep our mind and our thoughts on true things, on things that are noble, things that are just, pure, lovely, of good report, and anything that is praiseworthy. These are things that we need to keep our mind on. We've talked a lot about, and Dad has talked about in this day and age right now, we're in with all the pressure that we're facing, all these things that are constantly trying to attack us, you know, as a church, in our personal lives, with our families, it can be really easy to let Satan come into your mind and start speaking all those little lies and, you know, doubt and unbelief into your mind. So this is really important in this day and age that we're in. Satan's going to continue to try and heat up and continue to constantly track, uh, attack our mind. So every day we need to constantly renew our minds to the Word, constantly remind ourselves of that scripture, Philippians 4 8, and what things we should think on pure things, true things, noble things, things that are praiseworthy. Keep your minds on those things every day, and if you do that, you'll become stronger, you'll become more stronger mentally. Because of Adam, our natural mind has a hatred toward God, as I said, and is not subject to the law of God. 
But praise God, when we are born again, our spirits are reborn and made alive in Christ. And that reborn spirit begins to dominate our lives. So when we're born again, our spirit is what's made new. It's reborn, made alive into Christ, and our soul is what's saved. saved. <clears throat> but that newborn spirit will dominate our lives and should dominate our lives. The mind without Jesus, the Bible, prayer, and the power of the Holy Ghost is full of emptiness and human vanity. But when he comes into you, he gives you a spirit that begins to cover your mind and tells you to think the ways of God, think the ways of purity and holiness. He'll remind you to think good things like the word of God, like prayer, like praise and fellowship. The devil will try to attack you through your mind, as I just talked about. He is at an all-time high trying to attack us mentally and trying to wear us down mentally. <clears throat> so he'll kind of he'll try and attack you through all different kinds of thoughts, whether it be strife, trying to get you worked up, trying to get you angry, whether it's violence, whether it's lust, loneliness. He'll fill you with thoughts of doubt, guilt, and unbelief. This is so important to guard your thoughts. Um, I just like I talked about. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is such an important scripture. So when Satan is trying to you know, throw those little fiery darts in your head that you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough, that you don't have a purpose, um, that you know, whatever you're facing... Or he'll come at you with thoughts of strife, trying to get you worked up and mad to create a situation or whatever. You need to bring those thoughts into captivity and make them obedient to Christ and his word. <clears throat> when these attacks come from Satan, the sooner that we accept that Satan is trying to attack our minds, the sooner we will be able to resist it and come against it. So... Back to situational awareness. I just always talk about situational awareness, right? Uh, but in in life, the more situationally we are in public, wherever we're at, the more aware we are, the more likely we are to pick up attacks before they happen. So that the sooner we can see it, the sooner we can avoid that bad situation, that bad person, that bad place. Uh, we can avoid it, or we can de-escalate it, or we can have our weapons ready to defeat whoever's trying to to hurt us, right? So the same thing goes with Satan. When he, the more aware we are of his attacks, the more ready and prepared we will be to come against those attacks and to stop Satan and rebuke Satan and his attacks. Last, or a few weeks ago, I was talking to Scott and he was going, kind of telling me a revelation that he had as born again Christians, our spirits are reborn, made alive into Christ. Satan cannot touch our spirits. As a born-again Christian, you cannot become demon-possessed, right? Satan can't attack our spirits. But as Scott was telling me, what he can do is he can corrupt your soul. And if you allow your soul to be corrupted, your mind, your will, and emotions, then that will eventually, over time, sear your spirit. Um, so he can't touch your spirits, but he can corrupt your soul. If you're worn down and you're beat down mentally... Your spirit isn't going to function as it should, and it's going to be dominated by your soul instead of your spirit. When you allow yourself to be dominated by your soul instead of spirit, it opens the doors up for bad things to happen. So this is why it's so important 
um, that we watch what we're listening to, that we watch what we're, you know, being careful what we're watching on TV uh, and social media and all these different things that are from the world trying to come into us because they can influence your soul and they can corrupt your soul. We think about all the people that have mental illnesses in this nation and how hard Satan is trying to attack the minds of people from the youth to to even older people. So I decided to look up some stats on mental illnesses, and they're pretty shocking. So according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, 21% of U.S. adults experienced mental illnesses in 2020. That's approximately 52.9 million people. 16.5% 16.5% of U.S. youth 6 to 17 years old experienced a mental health disorder in 2016. I can guarantee you the last few years that's skyrocketed up. 8.4% or 21 million approximately had major depressive episodes. Less than 1% or about 1.5 million schizophrenia, 2.8% bipolar disorder, 19.1% or approximately 48 million people deal with anxiety, 3.6% PTSD. And this is an absolutely absolutely sickening stat that should just make you angry. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 14. Not grown adults, not people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, but ages 10 to 14, that is the second leading cause of death. I told mom that, and she just shook her head. She goes, kids should be out having fun. Kids should be worried about being kids, you know, out playing in the woods, out, you know, doing whatever, being adventurous. But here they are, constantly being attacked from every direction. These aren't just illnesses. These aren't just mental illnesses. These are attacks from Satan. Satan is after the minds of so many people. He's after the minds of the youth, of the next generation. I truly believe Satan knows that the next generation has such an important part to play in the coming revivals and the coming harvest, and he's doing everything he can to destroy them, from abortion to deceiving them and confusing them about their sexuality, about their gender, to you know filling them full of thoughts of you know suicide and depression to all this there's no reason suicide should be the second leading cause of death for that age of kids it's just it's crazy the thing is is the church for so long has become more about counseling them than it has about healing them and delivering them we don't need more counseling from a psychologist what these mentally unhealthy people need They need Jesus. They need a born-again spirit, and they need deliverance. They need demonic, unclean spirits cast out of them and removed from them. You can't counsel a demon. You can't continue to, you know, stroke that demon. We We need deliverance. We need to see captives set free, and there's so many of them out there. And I truly that believe that they're going to be a part of the harvest and that God is preparing us to be able to go out and to help heal them and set them free of what they're dealing with. Lester Summerall says our spirits can only be as healthy as our minds are healthy so if you want to switch to I don't know why I say switch uh, go to 1 Peter 1.13 
First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. What's that mean? That means protect your thoughts, guard your thoughts, guard your mind all the time. As born-again believers, we must know that we have the mind of Christ. I know I've said that, but that scripture has really stood out to me as I've been going over the mind. Is you know How important it is to know who we are in Christ and that the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. If you have a mind of Christ, that means you have a strong mind. That means you know no fear. That means you have a mind that can't be defeated. You have a victorious mind. As we're constantly dealing with what we're dealing with today, we need to constantly renew our mind to this promise, this scripture every single day that we have the mind of Christ. We have a strong mind. We have a victorious mind. And if you continue to speak that out every single day in faith, you're going to believe it because you're speaking faith. And speaking faith, faith is present right now. So speak that out and believe it. And you'll begin to see your mind transformed to God's word. <clears throat> so I follow a minister. His name's David Hernandez. He's out of California, and he's an amazing, amazing teacher of the word. And he was talking about. I was listening to a sermon he talked about on spiritual warfare. He's talking about you know demons being cast out and stuff like that. But he said something that really stood out to me. He said a lot of these people, they don't necessarily need demons cast out of them as much as they are battling demonic mindsets. It's these mindsets that we've allowed into our lives that we need to have deliverance of and we need to conquer. So a couple different mindsets that Lester Summerall talked about that are attacks from Satan. Number one is the passive mind. The passive mind has no power of concentration. So this has to do with forgetfulness. You're constantly starting a task, forgetting what you're doing, jumping to another one, and you're just going back and forth, back and forth all the time. And how this is attacked is this. Satan does this so that you can't concentrate on the Word. You can't concentrate on worship. You can't concentrate on prayer if you're constantly forgetting what you're doing and you're jumping from one thing to another all the time. I find it funny how when I begin to read the Word at times or begin to pray, I'm sure you've noticed this too, all these little thoughts are start coming into your head. Oh, I need to do this, or I need to do this, or you know, just weird, goofy thoughts are coming into your head, mind distracting you from getting into the Word and from praying. Satan wants to distract you, so we need to be aware of that. <clears throat> we need to command our minds to focus. God has given us that power and authority to do so, to command our minds to focus, and to focus on what he wants us to do. Okay, another mindset is the unrelaxed mind. This deals with sleeplessness and insomnia. This is from the devil, and if you don't take control of it, it can break you. If you have trouble falling asleep at night, if you've ever had trouble falling asleep at night, you can know how frustrating it is. Because you're just constantly laying there thinking about how you can't fall asleep. You're calculating in your head, like, if I fall asleep now, I'll get this many hours of sleep. Or at least I've done that. And you just wake up exhausted and tired. And that's what Satan wants. He wants you worn down. He wants you beaten. He wants you exhausted and tired. Because the more tired you are, 
the more likely you are to uh, act out in your emotions and your soul instead of out of the spirit. Um, so we cannot let our mind do as it pleases. You must have power over your mind. You need to speak and declare the word over it. So if you struggle with sleeplessness, if you struggle with insomnia and falling asleep at night, you need to command your mind to relax. Speak the word of God over it. The Bible says the Lord gives sleep to his beloved. So say things and confess things like, Lord, I am your beloved, so I receive your sweet sleep. Mind you must think peaceful thoughts. You must relax and go to sleep in Jesus' name. And when you have that mindset and you act that way, you begin to take power and authority over your mind and you're becoming stronger. Okay. So those are just a couple different mindsets. The last thing on the mind is we need to, the Bible tells us, to daily renew our minds to the Word. Do not be conformed to the world, but renew your minds to the Word of God. So every single day we need to renew our minds to the Word. We need to know that we have the minds of Christ. We need to know we have victorious minds. And the more that we renew our minds to the Word, the more that Scripture is within us and we're meditating on it and chewing on it, the more we will be able to, when, the, when Satan comes to attack us, we'll have those words at the ready and to be able to uh, resist him with them. And the stronger we will become mentally and the more healthy we will be spiritually as well. Okay? Last week I had a runny nose. This week I'm extremely thirsty. So it's that tomato soup Kaylee made. <coughs> So first part of our mind, or soul is our mind. Second part is our emotions. The mind and emotions are connected like chains. Sometimes you can't tell where your emotion ends and your thinking begins or where your thinking ends and your emotions begin. So they're kind of tied together uh, along with your emotions and will as well. Emotion is beautiful when it's tied to your born-again nature, your spirit. But if it's not born-again... Anger, hate, fear, jealousy, all these things will rise up within you and can be extremely dangerous. Even as born-again Christians, if our emotions aren't ruled by our spirit, they can destroy you, they can destroy your family, they can destroy relationships, and they can even end up destroying your career or business if you don't learn to control them. In this day and age, we cannot afford to be ruled by our emotions. We need to learn how to control them and let our spirits dominate them. So, an example of learning how to control your emotions. Uh, so, um, if you've ever seen videos on YouTube or Facebook of fights going on between a couple of guys, you know, at a bar or something, there's always one guy who's always like puffing up his chest and screaming and hollering and swearing at the other guy. What's he doing? He's allowing his emotions to come out. And what that is, that's a weakness because. He's trying to look like the big, bad, tough guy swearing and yelling and cussing because he doesn't know how to fight. Okay, the guy you need to be scared of is the guy who's patiently and calmly standing there completely at peace. That guy is the trained guy. And I think that's how we should be spiritually. When our emotions are trying to get to us, we need to be like that trained guy and have those emotions under control so that we can be more effective spiritually. Jumping now to something else, it's kind of the same thing, but emotion-driven church services and messages don't win spiritual wars. They don't heal the sick, they don't cast out demons, they sure don't get the captives free. 
set the captives free. Spirit-led services that are full of God's anointing and power is what heals, delivers, and breaks strongholds. I truly believe the reason the church has gotten to be in the condition it has is because we have more preachers that sound like motivational speakers than we do preachers of the Word of God. Their messages do nothing but make their congregation's emotions feel good. They do nothing but tickle their congregation's ears and constantly please themselves. In doing so, you create a generation of weak, wimpy, emotion-driven Christians who care more about self than they do their neighbor, their community, and their nation. So when you're constantly going to church trying to please your own emotions, all you're doing is focusing on yourself, right? And there's a time and a place to build ourselves up, but, you know, our job, especially as this generation of Christians, is to be prepared for other people and to be looking out for other people, right, so that we can advance the kingdom of God and we can spread the gospel. If you want to be a true warrior for Christ and be able to effectively advance his kingdom, you cannot be ruled by your emotions. Our warriors and our most elite special forces teams in the U.S. military and all over the world cannot afford to let their emotions dictate their decisions on critical missions. If special forces teams are out on a critical critical, high-threat, dangerous, you know, uh, mission, and they let their emotions get to them to di- and they allow their emotions to dictate their decisions, that's going to get themselves killed and it's going to get their teams killed. So the same thing as spiritual warriors for God's kingdom, if we want to be effective warriors, we have to let our spirits discipline our mind, our will, and emotions. If we let our emotions get to us, will destroy and will allow our souls to be corrupted, will allow our families to be hurt, will allow our church to be hurt, everything else, right? So we cannot let our emotions dictate our decisions. We have to be ruled by the Spirit. Our emotions come from our heart. You hear the Bible and see the Bible talk about the heart of man. Our emotions come from our heart. When God gives you a new reborn spirit, He gives you new emotions, When the heart and emotions are under the direction of the Spirit, it's holy, joyful, and peaceful. In Psalms 84.2, David controls his emotions when he says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the counsel of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 62, he says, My soul silently waits for God. In Psalm 63, he says, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. So what's David doing? David is simply controlling his soul and flesh. He's bringing it into subjection of his spirit. If you live by your feelings, you're always going to be out of communication with God. But when you give them over to God, as David did, you can have authority over them. So our emotions, again, I keep saying this over and over again, but I want it to sink in. I want it, I want it to really settle on your, your minds and your spirits. Our emotions must be under the direction of our spirit. Job 23, verses 16. If you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, I'll read it. Job 23, 16 says, For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. So this was Job speaking, and God made his emotions soft before him. So I'm going to talk about how we can, uh, you know, how important it is to not allow our emotions to get hard. Your emotions can get hardened. Your heart can get hardened, right? 
<clears throat> so God made his emotions soft before him. If your emotions get hard, mean, and calloused, you cannot be what God wants you to be. So for an example of this, Abe's not here to hear me talk about this, but in high school and college age years, when I probably wasn't where I should have been spiritually, I absolutely dreaded coming to church because I dreaded sitting through worship. I could not just stand being in worship for whatever it is. I allowed my emotions to be hardened. I allowed my heart to be hardened. I blame the worship team. I blame Abe. I, you know, whatever. I just had a bad attitude about it all. Later on, down the road, 2019, 2020, as God spiritually revived me, thank God, I began to spend more time in worship myself, and I began to realize that it wasn't Abe that I was mad about worship. It wasn't the Abe worship team. It wasn't anybody else in the church, but it was my own bitter heart. It was my own hardened heart that I allowed to get hardened and have a bad attitude about. And now that I have a softened heart, I absolutely love worship. I could spend all day in worship, and I just I love it, right? So we can't let, allow our emotions to be hardened. As Christians, if you let your hearts get hardened and your emotions mean towards people, you're never going to reach them. You're never going to be able to effectively witness to them. You'll never lead people to Christ. You'll never see them get healed when you pray for them if you do not have compassion. The Bible says Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons because he had compassion for people. He had love for them. So you cannot let your hearts get hardened. If you allow your hearts to get hardened, your emotions to get hardened towards other people, and you do not have compassion, you're never going to reach them. <clears throat> Especially with the people out there nowadays. You know, we're going to have people coming into the church that don't look like us, sound like us, smell like us. And if you allow your emotions to be hardened towards them, we won't be able to effectively help them. Okay, last thing on emotions. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, that's emotions, and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So they were of one heart, they were one emotionally, they were of one soul. In your emotions, you want one thing and then you want another. Lester Summer all talked about this. You want this, and then you want that. You desire this, and you desire that. You want to go to this church, and then two weeks later, you want to go to the new hot and popping big church. Uh, you're serving in the church here, and then you want to serve here. You're constantly worried about your own desires and your own, own emotions being pleased. But when the church was at its best, they were all one emotionally. They were all of one heart. They were all of one soul. They were focused on one thing and one thing only, which was God, which was advancing the kingdom, right? <clears throat> so we, in the days ahead, we need together as a church body be of one heart and one soul together in one accord. In conclusion, concerning the emotions, they are a beautiful thing if they are ruled and directed by the Spirit, but if not, they can be dangerous. To be effective in the days ahead as the church, we all need to make sure we are in one accord emotionally and that we learn to control our emotions and walk in faith and not by how we feel. Okay, so last one, last part of the soul. That's our will or our willpower. 
the willpower or your will, it's the area of decision. Just like your mind and emotions, your mind and will is interlinked and difficult to tell where they finish and begin. In the area of your will, without God, a person can become stubborn and difficult for anyone to get along with. So when I think of this, I think of kind of the my way or the highway kind of people. I want things my way. I want things, I want my plans to come into fruition. I want my ideas, and they always shoot down other people's ideas. But we, as believers, should be strictly focused on God and God's will in everything we do. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was practicing pronouncing that, Gethsemane, had to submit his own will to the Father. He said in Matthew 39, he says, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Think of how powerful that is, that Jesus Christ himself is laying down his own will and saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The my way or the highway kind of mentality and will is the human will under the direction of our own carnal nature. It's unregenerated and without God. But our newborn spirit within us will speak to our mind and tell us to be at peace with the people around us. It will speak to your emotions excuse me, and say, calm your words down and take a deep breath. It will speak to your will and tell it to quit being stubborn. You don't have to have your way every time. Focus on God. Focus on God's will. It's okay to, you know, choose other people's ideas and get along. We need to let the Holy Spirit dominate us and dominate our decisions. When you live that way, you have the new man, the new nature, you have new power, and you have new authority. You have all things that man needs to have a happy life. Our human will should not be in rebellion. So I'm going to talk about how our will can be in rebellion. If our will is in rebellion towards the things of God and His will, we can get in trouble fast. There's a lot of examples of rebellious wills throughout the Bible. I think one of the best examples is Jonah. Jonah, uh, God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. You all know the story. But in his own willpower, what did he do? He was rebellious and he told God, I don't want to go. He headed to Spain instead resulting in ending up in the belly of the whale. So that's an example of what a rebellious kind of will can do to you. An uncontrollable, rebellious, humanistic will like that will keep you from entering into God's call and plan for your life. It will hurt you, it will hurt your family, and it will break up your home. It will damage your business and career, and it will hurt your church and church family. We need to daily tell ourselves we will do as the Lord wills today. Every day pray and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Every time I pray, almost all the time when I pray as I'm praying, I'm constantly praying that. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done with me. Your will be done with my family. Your will be done with my church and my church family. Your will be done in my community and in my nation. So when we do this, when we pray that, we are laying down our own selfish desires and, and will, and we're putting God first above everything. You will never enter into your true calling from God if you never allow your own will to be subservient to God's will. His will might not always make sense at first. It might not sound good or look good, and more than likely you won't want to do it in your own natural sense. Lester Summerall was talking about how he was 
praying one night in his home. He was a pastor at a church in Florida or somewhere down there. And all of a sudden, as he was praying, God told him that he needed to pack up and move to the Philippines and start a ministry in the Philippines. And he said, no, I don't want to. He says, I don't want to go. I can't, you, you can't make me, right? And that was his own natural carnal will. But, you know, within a five, ten minutes of continuing to pray about it and pray, he realized that was his carnal man and that God was, that was God's will it was for him to pack his family up and move to the Philippines. So when God calls you, it might not always look the best, and more than likely you probably won't want to do it. But God's will is perfect and it's good. And when he calls you, you can be assured that all things work together for our good, right? So a few years ago, I began to realize, well, ever since high school, I've been concerned about my future, my purpose, and what God wants me to do. I can remember as in high school, as a sophomore, junior, Mike Keys praying or prophesying over me, and it was the word was telling me to quit worrying about my future because I was always worried and concerned about my future and my calling. Well, the last few years, I began to realize that God has a calling probably for me in the ministry in some way. And as me and mom would talk about it, you know, she would tell me that me and Caleb have a call in the ministry. And, you know, but I'd always tell mom, well, I don't want to preach. I'm not going to be a preacher. It's, I do not want to be a preacher. And now I'm standing up here teaching on Wednesday nights. It's kind of funny how God works. So, again, it's not always going to be what you want or it's not always going to look the best or in your own natural sense, it's not going to be something you probably want, but God's will is perfect and it's good. So, real quick, there, in our devotional, is actually talking about our will, God's will, this week on is Monday, October 31st. I want to read this to you quick. It says, Remember the childhood game, pin the tail on the donkey. Winning in that game was a stab in the dark process, and for many of God's children, Determining his will and purpose for their lives amounts to a similar method, but it does not have to. Here are some scriptural steps to take the guesswork out of it. Commit yourself to obeying God's will. Understanding God's will is impossible until you commit yourself unreservedly to doing it. So we as the believers, as the body, we need to commit ourselves completely to doing God's will in everything we do in our personal lives, with our family, with our church. Understand God's will is impossible until you commit yourself unreservedly to doing. I just read that. Okay. Any desire to retain your own will blinds you to his. You don't need a detailed map. It's a journey of faith. Be confident that God loves you and wants only the best for you. And that when you submit yourself to him, you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. Number two, listen for the shepherd's voice and trust it. Jesus doesn't leave you alone to figure out his will for your life. He is our good shepherd, and his sheep recognize his voice. He leads them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Note the words recognize his voice. With time and experience, you will learn to know when God is speaking to you. Like Abraham, who submitted to God's will without knowing where he would be led, you're called to surrender your will without knowing where he will lead you. God promises wisdom, insight, and understanding, not to the spiritually smart, but to any person who lacks wisdom, so believe that his wisdom is yours. I think a great example of choosing not our own will, but God's will is Abraham's, just like he talked about, right? 
God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and to think about having to sacrifice your child, I think we'd all turn around and run away. But Abraham knew God's will was perfect and that God would come and provide in the end, and he did. All in all, we need to daily commit our wills to God. We need to become subservient to his will, and we need to let our spirits dominate our will. When we commit our will to his, it allows us to step into his calling and accomplish what he desires to, com- to accomplish. In the end, we will be blessed. So, again, our, mind, or our soul is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. The Bible calls us to, says that we have the mind of Christ, and we need to daily remind ourselves that we have the mind of Christ. Um, our emotions, we should not be ruled by our emotions we should be ruled by our spirit when our emotions are ruled by our spirit they can be a beautiful thing um, but we as believers should not be ruled by our emotions if we are they can be dangerous and they can hurt people our will we need to constantly be focused on god's will and not our own every single day pray lord god not my will but your will be done and when you do and you trust his will and his plan everything will work out together for your good So that is the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. Next week we'll talk about the body. Um, Hopefully I won't offend too many people when I'm talking about the body. Okay, so let's pray here tonight. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this night spent together in your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for helping us to grow in understanding, knowledge, and wisdom of your word. Lord, we thank you for blessing us as a spirit being with a soul made up of our mind, will, and emotions, Lord, we pray that you would help us each day renew our minds to the word. Each day help us to grow mentally stronger, Father, and to know, and we thank you for the fact that you have given us the minds of Christ. We thank you, Father, that you would help us to control our emotions every day and that they would be ruled by our spirit, and that, Lord, you would help us to be led by your spirit. Father, and we thank you for your will. Your will is best, Father, and we desire your will to be done in our lives, your will to be done with this church, with this people here, and, Lord, your will to be done in our community and our nation. Father, help us each day, lead us each day, and guard our hearts and minds with your peace. Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.